Uh, thanks everyone for joining us today on another edition of the Dimension Fold YouTube channel. And today we have a special guest, Mary Joyce, who is the author of several books. And uh, I'll, I'll ask Mary to um, maybe tell us a little bit about your books now, Mary. Well, Ken, you and I seem to have similar interests. Um, uh, I've written a book about Cherokee little people, and mm. that's a bit of history. Uh, I've written about UFOs. Um, I guess I should give you titles. Uh, Cherokee Little People Were Real is the book we'll probably be jumping off from uh, yeah. on the show today. Um, I've written a book about secret underground military bases underneath the North Carolina mountains. Um, I've written about uh, Bigfoot. And these are stories where uh, you get to find out there's a more human side to Bigfoot. It's not just the big monster in the woods. They have families okay. and a lot of good things like that. So that one's Bigfoot. Uh, beyond the, the footprints, and then I have one um, tangible evidence of Jesus, and uh, oh, cool. so those are the those are the four that are in print right now. Okay, and of course yeah, they're so, all available with Amazon. Right, uh, so that gives us a lot to talk about. So we might have to do several sessions, um, but let's just uh, see where we get to. So I wanted to talk to you firstly about uh, the little people because. Um, that's not really anything that, I, that I'm familiar with. I haven't really heard much about that. Um, I know I've heard stories of, um, uh, you know, indigenous um, peoples having legends about giants. Um, and of course, um, many of us have heard about the Lovelock Caves um, in, is that in Nevada or New Mexico? I well, it's remember, along but... the... Um... The Grand Canyon, isn't yeah, it? okay, yeah. So, like out west, we hear a lot about giants, and um, I know there were a lot of stories about giants from uh, from the eastern states as well, especially um, as the settlers were coming through, and uh, the Smithsonian Museum uh, seemed to be scooping up a lot of evidence. Um, but yeah, I, I must say this is kind of the first I've heard about little people. So uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, hearing what you have to say about that. I was once in your shoes um, before I moved to Western North Carolina, which is mountainous. I'd never heard of Cherokee little people. And I just kind of blew it off as uh, mythology, uh, stories around campfires. And uh, then one day uh, I got to meet an elderly man uh, who was well-respected in the community. And uh, after World War II, as a young man, he had helped, um, do some of the construction at Western Carolina University, which is here in the, in the North Carolina mountains. And he said, no, they're real. And when they were building this campus, it, no matter where they would dig to create a new building or put in a sewer system or uh, put in a new stadium, they were finding these little tunnels. <clears throat> and they were, um, let's say two, two and a half feet across and about three and a half feet tall. And they were square cut except for the top, and the top was rounded, which makes the tunnels more uh, sturdy. And then they, uh, some of the uh, men that I talked to, um, they had just been involved with all sorts of construction at that time. And one of the bulldozer guys um, had uh, scooped up a, an old skeleton, and it was a child-sized skeleton, except the, the skull itself had wisdom teeth which, you know, you have to be, what, at least 18 to start hatching wisdom teeth. Right. And uh, he, this one professor kept it on his desk as a conversation piece 
he always said it was just a Cherokee child skull. And it was actually an English teacher from the high school who picked it up and looked at it and said, no, this has all its wisdom teeth. It can't be a child skull. Right. So that's kind of how it started. And um, to be quite honest, I never would have gotten these stories if I hadn't had a connection with this particular old timer who then introduced me to other old timers who uh, were involved in the construction. And so for about a year, I would spend Saturdays around kitchen tables interviewing these old timers. And the reason I did it was because there was nothing recorded about it, absolutely nowhere. And I wouldn't have written the, the book except I knew this needed to be preserved. <clears throat> and at first I just did it as an <clears throat> academic thing. Um, but then I got more and more information. And the book actually has a lot of photos, <clears throat> a lot of maps, location maps, um, and of course the interviews. Um, so it just proved to be a very, very interesting thing. And since then, um, well, I, I shouldn't jump too far ahead, but I thought you might find that interesting. We also have had legends of um, giants in this area and Bigfoot in this area and UFOs right. in this area. So when I moved here, I moved into what I would call a hotspot. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, so what's the Cherokee connection? Were there, were there Cherokee legends that coincided with these findings that would explain these things? The um, Cherokee are originally from the um, Great Lakes region and they moved here to the mountains. I don't really know how long ago, but a long time ago. When they first moved here, they would see these little gardens, um, vegetable gardens, but they didn't see any people around. And then somebody at night noticed that these little people came out from underneath the ground, collected their vegetables and took them out underneath the ground. And originally the Cherokee called them uh, the moon people um, because they came out at night. But wow. now they're known as the Cherokee little people because we do have um, the Cherokee Indian reservation here. So right. uh, that's how it all connects. We have a big soup of unusual things in this very um, condensed area. Huh, that's very interesting. Um, so they, so the Cherokee were basically saying that they saw them, like, and this, this might have been a couple hundred years ago, or maybe a thousand years ago, do you figure? Or? Well, I, this has been a continuing learning process for me, because I thought it was only in the past, and the title of the book is Cherokee Little People Were Real, but mm. when the Cherokee found out I wasn't going to laugh at them, um, because it was taking a serious uh, slant on this subject, um, I began to hear stories um, about little people still living in remote areas in, in this part of the country. And I think it was about 17 years after I did all this initial research, um, I finally saw a photo of one. Now it's not a clear one. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> some, people, some people that I know who live on one of the ridges here uh, had a... Um, webcam or a game cam set up and they live up at the top of a ridge, single gravel lane road. And uh, they caught this little creature off in the distance. And the husband and wife debated between themselves if they should uh, share it with me. One of them thought it was a spirit. The other one thought it was real. And so when they finally shared it with me, I put it on the computer and I turned up the, the contrast really high. Now, mm -hmm. anything that's alive will go into the magenta range. Uh, anything that's a ghost 
will stay white. And uh, so on the website, I actually um, showed the different kinds of pictures. There's one old picture where there is a ghost playing with a child on the floor. The child goes to magenta and the ghost stays white. Well, the little creature in the woods went to magenta, which meant it was alive. Now, um, this was done, uh, captured in August. It was really hot. And uh, we saw the backside of this little guy. He had long, stri uh, straight cut black hair and um, um, was pretty much nude. He may have had something on the bottom, but it wasn't real clear. Right. Um, so uh, they went, measured where his head had come on the tree behind where he showed up. Yeah. And he was about three, and a, three, three and a, about three feet tall, three and a half feet tall. And that's what I consistently hear from people who have um, either found the bones or um, actually seen the little creatures. Wow. And I got some really interesting witnesses. For example, I told you that these men that I interviewed uh, were primarily involved with construction projects at the university. Well, to make it doubly interesting, many of them had grown up in this area. And um, a couple of the, of the guys, when they were little boys, used to hide their cigarettes um, in the basement. They would go through the janitor's closet. And then behind there, there were uh, three of these uh, old tunnels that were still under the McKee oh. building, which is one of the oldest buildings in, in, uh, on the campus. Okay. And uh, they were little at that point, and they, were, they would peek into them, but they wouldn't explore it any further because they thought it was spooky. But right. those same men grew up to do the construction. And they also told me stories of when they were children, there used to be what they thought was an Indian mound. Well, this Indian mound had a tubular hole straight down in the center of it. And the farmer, according to these now grown men, used to put logs down into that hole so the cattle wouldn't fall into the hole. And so these construction guys said it wasn't an Indian mound. It was a pile of dirt from all these tunnels being dug because they traced so many of the tunnels back to this, um, um, what they call a mound. Right, okay. So they, they would have been having to bring the dirt up and dump it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that would indicate that it was fairly recent then, right? Um, there were ongoing excavation probably fairly recently. Yeah, the camp, yes. Um, during the time I've lived here, much of that construction has been done. Of course, um, it started back uh, at World War II, and I do not have memories of that at all. But mm -hmm. um, these gentlemen did. And like I said, I'm so glad that I interviewed them because they've all passed away now. And uh, if I hadn't done those interviews, uh, it wouldn't have been preserved. Right. And um, so, so those guys were, uh, were uh, Caucasian immigrants who were working in the construction industry, but you also spoke to um, a, a couple of Cherokee elders as well? <clears throat> One of the gals that I talked to who lived during that time was the great granddaughter of Sally, who is one of the uh, uh, hero type chiefs for the Cherokee. And she told me that um, all the Cherokee believed in the little people. Many of them had had, had seen them. And um, she was of the belief that they originated from the stars. Now that's not so peculiar because the Cherokee people believe that they came from the Pleiades. 
and many of their creation stories or origination stories are um, woven into stories about the seven sisters. The seven sisters are the seven stars in the Pleiades. So mm -hmm. it's the, the, the Cherokee are very open to the idea that both they and the little people have come from the stars. Right. And with that, that theme pops up in a lot of um, legends from all, all different kinds of cultures all over the world um, t with various, you know, degrees of uh, how seriously, well, I don't know. I don't know how to even say it, but yeah, it keeps popping up and you got to wonder, right? You got to wonder. I, I'm convinced now. I'm like, I went from not knowing a thing about it to uh, now believing that uh, not only were they real, but there are still some around, not in large numbers, obviously. Uh, but we have Bigfoot in this area and they can hide out really well. So imagine how much easier it is for a little person. Right. Uh, but right. Uh, going back to these old timers, one of them, when he was five years old, there was a major flood of the Takasiji River, which goes through, through this area. And he found what he called a lead head. It was an, a very heavy metal uh, oval, a little bit more than, well, maybe an inch and a quarter um, in, in length. And it had like a leprechaun face on each side of it. And it had been washed out from whoever knows how long ago. And um, um, it, it had been molded. You could see the, the seam around the edge of it. And okay. uh, it had the pointed ears and the nose of a leprechaun. And in the book, I show it right next to uh, one of the illustrations of a leprechaun to show you how similar it really is. And what's right. interesting is the Cherokee did not like the little people that had red whiskers and squinty eyes, and they would try to kill them. And ah. um, some of the moonshiners, again, we have a very interesting area here. Some of the moonshiners back in the, in the 30s um, found a pile of little bones, and they didn't want their still to be um, discovered, so they just covered it up and pretty much kept quiet about it. One of right. those guys who was almost 90 at the time did take me back into the woods where this still had been. I was hoping to see some remnants of it. Um, we didn't, we couldn't find it, but um, um, at one time it was there. Hmm, fascinating. So, so, uh, so what do you make of that? I guess I'll call it a coin. I don't know if it's literally not necessarily saying that it was used as money, but um, it, a coin shaped object with uh, with, with images on the sides. It wasn't exactly um, coin shaped. It was oval shaped like this, okay. but it was kind of rounded on each side with this yeah. face emblazoned on each side. So it doesn't fit my definition of a coin. Yeah, you know, okay. Like a, like a medallion kind of thing. I don't know. Right, an, an amulet. Seen, I've never seen anything quite like it. Did it have a hole in it? No, no, it didn't. <laughs> Interesting. Could have been like a good, some kind of good luck item Could have been. or, you know, who knows. Another, uh, or mystery, even... another mystery that's here is we have, um, it's the largest um, petroglyph in this state and one of the largest in the Southeast. And I, one time I knew the dimensions, but let's say it's about 15 uh, feet across and 10 feet this way and it's at an angle. And it has all these markings um, on it that nobody has been able to make sense of. I mean, obviously um, it was created by some intelligent being, yeah. um, but uh, some people think it might have been the little people that did those because the Cherokee can't figure it out. Um, right. 
So there's a lot of mysteries that still aren't solved. Yeah, you know, it's funny that that seems to be a consistent thing wherever you go. Um, if you're in North America, the, there's these stories that the, the, the indigenous people um, have some clues on or have part of the story, but don't know the whole story. Uh, it's the same thing in South America when the Incan people, um, when, when the conquistadors came over and basically, you know, it's a, a lot of bad things happened there. But um, there were a few, uh, a few of the Spaniards that were um, actually seeking to understand these people. And they would ask things about like, you know, where did these, who made these temples and uh, where did all this gold come from and stuff like that. And um, always the Inca people would reply that, uh, well, it wasn't us. They were, this stuff was already here right. long, long before us. Um, and even in Egypt, uh, contrary to the, the popular opinion and the academic uh, status quo, um, there is uh, evidence of this break. It wasn't a, a continuous um, culture that ev simply evolved into what we see in the in the Egyptian. Um, uh, what do they call it? The uh, dynastic periods, but rather there was uh, there was a, a much earlier. Um, and somewhat disconnected the tradition that they were aware of. Um, and basically they referenced as like, this was a, a whole other thing that happened before. Um, and that's sometimes referred to as Zeptepi, which is one of the um, original names um, in Egypt, uh, for which means the before time. So that that's a, seems to be a consistent thing. And you know, I wonder um, how much of that information has morphed into some of the legends that, that are still carried on or, or at least that the, the elders might be able to tap into. It's, it's real hard to find an elder who um, is really yeah. an elder anymore. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. the real old ones who had lots of knowledge um, aren't living anymore. There's just a few right. of them who carry on the traditions. <clears throat> But the amazing thing is that there, when I found out that there are contemporary stories going on, and some of them are kind of cute. Uh, there's one Indian girl who uh, was willing to talk to me only because we had a mutual friend that we both trusted. If we didn't have that connection, she never would have opened up with me. Um, but she told me several little stories that are just kind of cute. Um, her family has a um, a little trailer up in a remote part of the reservation and they use that when they have family picnics and gatherings and that becomes the the cooking place and the and the restroom and, right. and this uh, gal who when I met her was in her late 20s um and when she was a child they were playing hide and seek and she went to hide in the shower of the um, RV or the little cabin yeah and when she pulled back the curtain, there was a, a little man that she just said, but that she said looked like uh, Mowgli from the Jungle Book with straight uh, black cut hair like this. And right. he just made a big smile at her. And uh, I think he just wanted to play with the kids, um, but it scared the you know what out of her. And she yeah. said, Daddy. <laughs> but she told me two other stories besides that one. 
there's a part of um, Western North Carolina that is more um, remote than the, than the reservation. And it's in the Robbinsville area, um, Snowbird area. And there are more full-blooded Cherokee that live there than on the reservation. And her aunt and uncle lived, lived there. And okay. um, her uncle who speaks Cherokee and is very much into the culture said, um, um, he, he dusted flour all over the floor. And he said, wait till morning. And in the morning there were these little footprints which I have seen in the sand, which you know are like about that size. Um, so she remembered that. And uh, both her mother and her grandmother could remember playing in the woods in that area and uh, had, had come upon um, uh, little people. And uh, she's, I think it was her grandmother that said she'd only seen one female little person. For the most part, they, she'd only seen uh, you know, males or boys or whatever. Okay. Um, so they might have uh, like a gender division of work type of thing where the males are going out hunting or exploring or get whatever they're doing. That still seems to be <coughs> just a genetic thing all across the board, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah In fact, uh, one, guy, one guy who has uh, little people living on his land, uh, he said the ones that call the mischief are the, the male teenagers. And that's, that's true of humans. Human creatures yeah. are much more likely to be creating mischief. And yeah. he said uh, sometimes uh, one of them has been in a tree out in his woods. He has like 200 acres. And he said that they have swung down like this so that they're looking them right in the face by hanging oh. on a limb. So, you know, there's playfulness um, with yeah. many of these stories. Interesting. Hmm. But you got to remember that the, the Cherokee for so long were laughed at uh, by the, the Caucasians, um, you know, just saying those stories are ridiculous. And like I said, I would not have had anybody sharing this with me if I hadn't proven that I believed that there really were Cherokee little people. One yeah. man had uh, also a Cherokee, and he told me the story of going hunting um, and it had gotten a real, real stormy night. And so he and his buddy went into this cave uh, just to wait out the storm. And during the night, his buddy woke him up and he said, listen. And there were um, uh, at least two little people outside the door chatting with each other. And he said that they could understand some of the words, but that they were speaking like a really old timey kind of Cherokee language. So they could only understand part of it. And oh, yeah. in the morning, there were those little footprints in the, in the mud. So uh, those are the kind of stories that, uh, that I get to hear. That's really cool. Um, well, and this whole underground thing is really interesting because, um, I mean, a lot of people who are, who are into the Bigfoot stuff um, figure that uh, the Bigfoot, that the, the Sasquatch goes underground as well. Um, which at first seems like uh, that's ridiculous. How many, like, there's just not that many caves around. But there really, there there's here. a lot of caves. Yeah. There's even, like, I think really everywhere you go, there's actually kind of a lot of caves, but you just don't know that they're there. Um, where I am here, uh, we do not have any kind of limestone um, formations. And it's, it's mostly like granite and stuff like that. And yet, 
um, even though the geography is not really suitable for caves, there are still caves around. I know of uh, a, a large cave formation, uh, maybe an hour or two away from here. Um, and uh, I could, there's a, in about a 10 minute drive, I could get to uh, the closest cave that I know. Um, Where are you located? The, I'm in the middle of British Columbia, up up in Canada. So ah. um, <clears throat> basically, it's uh, it's very rugged territory, and um, the you know we're in a city of about eighty thousand people, and there's thousands and thousands of square miles of of wilderness surrounding us. So absolutely, there could be there could be uh, uh, easily millions of of creatures hiding out in caves that we would never know about. Right. I can give you one of my firsthand experiences. Um, one of the uh, men who's lived here all of his life, he's a younger man um, compared to the old timers. And mm -hmm. he lives at the top of a ridge uh, here in the mountains. And he has Bigfoot living on his land. And you go up to his place. It's a gravel road, single lane. And then he took me into the woods. He took a machete not to because he was fearful, but because we needed to cut a path to get to the cave. Uh, and it was a good sized cave where he had, knew that the Bigfoot hung out or would you know, take um, shelter. And when we started going into that woods, I heard this sound and so did he, that sounded like a bird, but not quite like any bird you've ever heard. And then off in the distance where we were going, we, there was like an answer in that same kind of a bird call. And then oh, yeah. everything got silent. Well, we saw uh, two Bigfoot prints right about there. And when we ended up getting to the cave itself, it was pretty good size. It was um, um, flat cut like this and um, probably eight feet across and about five feet high. Uh, I took pictures of it um, and I've included that in, 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 uh, in my Bigfoot book. Um, I was not brave enough to go in. I could not see the back of the cave and I simply was chicken. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you never know what you're going to run into in there. Even if there isn't any, even if there's no such thing as Bigfoot, there's definitely such thing as a bear. And, and a panther. I don't, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Between, between the footprints and the strange bird call, which I've heard uh, Bigfoot researchers tell me they have also heard. Um, it was pretty convincing we were in their territory. Yeah. And it was remote. I mean, the, the average person's never going to see this. If right. this guy didn't have a machete and hadn't been hunting back in there, um, you know, I would never have seen it. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty close to being living in the bush. I live in the city right now. But um, a couple of years ago, we were um, about uh, probably 25 kilometers out um, and living by a lake. And... Uh, there was very few few people around. There's you know a couple hundred people who live around the lake, and then again just wilderness for for miles. And um, even out there, like we're definitely in animal territory, and right. you would see uh, you know you'd see moose and you'd see deer and you'd see some bear and uh, um, a skunk or something. And but even then. Okay, you can count on the number on your hands the number of times that you see them in a year. So even though you know they're there, you still don't see them. Right. And so the, I think the argument of, well, if there was Bigfoot, how come we're not seeing him? 
well, the, the argument is invalid because we know there's grizzly bears around and I've never seen a grizzly bear. I've only seen black bears, but I know that there's grizzlies around. Um, so yeah, I think it's fascinating The like, we kind of jump to logical, um, conclusions that, <laughs> that might not be founded. So when we're talking about, uh, we've got little people, we've got Bigfoot, we've got giants, maybe Bigfoot are, and giants are somehow related. They're both large, uh, bipedal, seemingly humanoid, semi-intelligent, at least, uh, types of beings. What if the one of the legends that we hear um, now, of, of course, there's evidence on both sides as well. So we got little footprints, we've got big footprints, um, and then somewhere in the middle, there's us. A and then the stories that on both sides of those is that uh, there are people who are smaller, there are people who are bigger, and I almost kind of wonder sometimes if some of those stories are actually the talking about each other so like even if we didn't have um uh, physical evidence but we do i mean i think that i think that there's a lot of really solid physical evidence but you know I, i'll i'll give you that some of it's probably fake um but even if there wasn't any physical evidence we have stories that say hey we ran across some little people and then another group is saying we ran across some big people what if this? What if that's the same story being told from two different sides, where there's simply uh, some kind of people, some of which are taller than the others, right? I mean, I can I can give you a partial answer on that. There is a, um, a researcher, a doctor, um, Melba Ketchum, and uh, a number of years ago, she did a five-year study on uh, DNA evidence uh, taken from Bigfoot. You know, Bigfoot hair and blood and and skin and all sorts of tissue. And okay. after that five-year study, she went public and said that um, the DNA for the Bigfoot was half human and half some unknown species. The human part shows up in, um, just shows up readily. The paternal part or the daddy part is only in the nuclear DNA, which is a little bit harder to get. And that's why sometimes the hair samples will just come up as human. If you don't have the, uh, the root of the hair, which is where the nuclear DNA is, you will never find out about this um, uh, paternal side. And that is totally not human. Um, so there's been interbreeding as far as I can see um, between humans and some unknown species. At first, right. Ke uh, Dr. Ketchum was just maligned. The scientific community just said he's a bunch of crap. Since then, a number of other scientific researchers have confirmed her results. So we are not we are dealing with something unique. Right. Um, well, that's very interesting because in the last uh, two or three years, only um, really it's been established in a in pretty much in in mainstream um, science that. Uh, the, the Homo sapiens is a combination of uh, DNA from Neanderthal, um, Cro-Magnon, and Denisovan, and all of these other lineages, which we had up until very recently had always assumed they were completely different species. And it's really kind of makes us have to 
rethink our concept of what species even means, uh, because I think that it's sort of a false idea. Um, you know, you, you think that, um, well, traditionally we were, I think, taught mostly that a species is two different animals, let's say, that cannot interbreed. Well, that's not even right because um, they've successfully bred lions and tigers together and mm. many other examples. Um, so this whole concept is just like, uh, I think we really just need to throw away that idea of species. Um, it should go the same way as race because there's no such thing as race and neither is there anything as species. We're all people, we're all hominids and we all have different, uh, you know, mixtures of DNA, uh, but that DNA is always mixing through the gene pool. <clears throat> Big yeah. in more ways than people realize. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even just the, um, you know, we've got these things like 23andMe um, and other services that will do DNA analysis of you. And um, you provide a sample and they'll tell you uh, where, uh, where your ancestors come from. And when I did that, I was fascinated because um, you, and, and this is typical for, I think almost everybody who does it is that uh, you expect, because you know, you know, oh, my parents are from here. My grandparents are from here, blah, blah, blah. So you expect to see uh, whatever three or four countries that you know about. Um, but instead you see this wide range where, okay, maybe 80% of your DNA is is from uh, England or Holland or wherever you think you're from. Um, but then there's like these little parts where like one or, one or five or 10% is from like, who knows where, some, some wildly uh, place that you could never imagine that you had ancestry from. And, and that really indicates to me that, um, you know, over a long t period of time, uh, there's been a lot of travel. Um, people, we have this concept that um, our our ancestors were like simple farmers, and they, they just lived on this on their their little piece of ground and never went anywhere. And that's just wrong, uh, because there's no way that for that DNA to move around unless the people are moving around. And there were adventurers and travelers and explorers and traders and merchants, and their DNA is just spread all over the world. A good example of that is uh, Otzi, <laughs> the, uh, the Iceman. Uh, this, do you know that? Well, anyhow, he's, yeah. his uh, uh, remains were found uh, in the Alps, I think the French Alps. Yep. But all of his DNA said that he originated down in Sardinia, which is, you know, down in the Italian area. In so, it, oh, yeah, yeah. So that's a bit of a travel for that period of time. Yeah. And he was at least 5,000. Like it was, oh, it was least, because at least. Yes. they at only least. found him because he was uh, buried in a, in a glacier that, would, that was now melting. The one nice thing about global warming, and it's the only thing I can think of that's good, yeah. is that a lot of our history is being revealed because things are melting quite quickly. And it's amazing what uh, you can find using Google Earth. And... Antarctica is melting faster than, uh, or is warming faster than any place on Earth, because there's a whole volcanic chain underneath the western part of it. And so we found the ruins of uh, ancient cities. All right. How old would those be? I mean, yeah. 
the continent's been covered in ice for like, you know, millions of years. So yeah. the ruins that are now being exposed are older than anything that we know any, anywhere else in the world. To me, that's exciting. Right. Um, I, I do not want to let that lead go by. So, but I think I'm going to need to see some pictures on that. Um, maybe uh, my, let me give you my website. Yeah, I've, I've looked at your website a little bit. Maybe send me a, a couple of specific pictures and, and we can uh, dig into that Antarctic thing uh, later on, on okay. another, another show. Um, but, uh, okay, so um, let's see. So let's, let's get into uh, UFOs because this probably ties in. So if the Cherokee and uh, many other um, indigenous peoples are telling us that not only they came from the sky, but there's also other races and species, even though we just disproved that idea, uh, that are also coming uh, from from space. Um, so then do those legends also contain uh, stories of, uh, of later visitations? Like it's one thing to say, you know, they came here and now we're here. Um, but then I think another part of that story is they came here, now we're here, and they continue to come back, whether they're checking on us or uh, doing further um, manipulation of the, of the DNA or like, who knows, right? It gets into all kinds of um, interesting and sometimes crazy theories, but I think that uh, there's, maybe there's something to that. And um, so what are your thoughts on, on that or what, what have you discovered on that front? Any kind of ties between those two? Um, I, can, I can answer several ways. One, the website I started to refer to is called Skyships Over Cashers. Right. That was because that's a Cashers is a mountaintop town here in Western North Carolina. And the reason we named the website that was because we were seeing so many UFOs over Cashers right. and lots of them. And but the website's gone way beyond that. If I had known that we would be going in so many different directions, it, I probably would have picked a different name. But um, it was because of UFOs. But again, in that same very small area, there are the UFOs, there are the Bigfoot, there are the little people, you know, it, it, and, and the rem, remnants of giants. And um, so it, it just opens up the imagination. I and mean, what can you do with all that information? Yeah. Have, have you seen, um, in terms of your, uh, your research, have you seen any... Um, anecdotal evidence uh, to, that would say that, you know, linking the sightings, like, okay, there was a UFO sighting um, this night and, and also a, a, okay. a Bigfoot sighting. One story is coming to mind. It's here in North Carolina. It's a little bit further east than where I am. And there are Bigfoot there. And mm. uh, there's one guy who really is keeping on top of all of it. And one night he heard the Bigfoot making a lot of noise. Well, he took his camera out because if something was going on, he wanted to try to capture it. And the Bigfoot were along the um, wooded line or the, you know, the forest line. The line. We were all looking up at the sky. This is at night. Oh, yeah. And he looked up and there was a gold um, UFO and he was able to get a picture of it. So there was the, there were the Bigfoot looking right up at the, UFO that was right above them. <laughs> a connection between UFOs and Bigfoot. I have not made an absolute decision for myself how much significance there is there. But right. 
if it's they're both <coughs> in the same area. Yeah. Now, okay. So you and you've written books on both of those topics. Um, do you had in both of those fields? Is there? Um, uh, I've heard claims of, I guess, tele telepathic communication, um, both from Bigfoot uh, between Bigfoot and also from uh, the ETs. Um, got any ideas around that? Uh, that seems to be the universal way of communicating. Uh, and people who are really sensitive even to their house cat or their house, you know, their house dog um, are able to do some degree of telepathic communication with their pets. So it shouldn't be, you know, thought of as crazy that, uh, you know, that's the way much of the communication is. Let's face it, working with these words, they just get all tangled up and uh, we don't always express ourselves so well. So maybe telepathy is a much better way. But yeah, you hear that with the uh, UFO contacts or the ET contacts, you hear it with Bigfoot. Um, I do not know about the little people. I've never heard a story in that regard. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I just don't mm -hmm. personally know that. Yeah. Well, Oh, and the other thing I just thought of, too, um, I was going to say something about this earlier, but um, in Indonesia, there is um, uh, well, well documented archaeological evidence uh, for a, um, a hominid species, again, I'll use the species, um, that is, uh, was about three feet tall, and uh, they go by the scientific name. Um, Homo florensi, flor, for, floriensis, I believe it is. I've, I've read it. I've seen the word. I, I'm not going to try to say it for you because yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's flori, Homo floriensis, um, also known as Flores man, and also sometimes colloquial called the Hobbit. Um, of course, after uh, J.R. Tolkien's fictional race, um, but it's quite interesting that so we know for a fact that there were little people. Um, the, the evidence on the giant side tends to be um, less accepted. I don't know of any mainstream academics who have yet come out and said, yeah, there definitely were giants. Um, but I mean, obviously there were. There, we have giants in every other species. Uh, we had giant horses, giant... Um, uh, cattle, giant deer, giant um, pigs, like back during the, um, uh, not Pleistocene, I, I can't remember the, um, the name of the period, but during one of the geographic periods, um, North America was essentially overrun by all, by all kinds of animals, and they were all giant, gigantic. Um, so if there were humanoid uh, creatures, let's say, back then, you would expect that they also would have been giant. Well, one of the things that I find quite annoying is the Smithsonian. Yeah. And I've read several books on it and um, lots that have documented lots of old newspaper reports going back to primarily the 1800s, where they have found the remains of giants. They've called in the Smithsonian. One of their representatives shows up, they take it and they haul it back to the Smithsonian and you never see it again. Well, right. the extent of these old newspaper reports spread out over the, uh, the country in and of itself is convincing that 
they were finding these things. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's quite regrettable that um, uh, the Smithsonian is, is so secretive about it. They must have a, a vault down in the third or fourth basement that um, they keep these things in. And locally, I was um, uh, disappointed <clears throat> to hear from an anthropology student at Western Carolina University uh, tell me that um, they had, and I heard this from several people, that they had um, two giant skeletons um, in the forensic storage area at Western Carolina University, and they had six toes. And I ran into one of these anthropology students at my other office, which is Dunkin' Donuts, and overheard her talking. And um, so I started a conversation with her. And she said that uh, uh, those skeletons, including the little people skeletons, had been turned over to the uh, Smithsonian. I thought, oh, we're never going to see those again. Uh, why do people keep giving them stuff? <laughs> um, I... <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's so frustrating. And, you know, I've seen the same thing with these newspapers. I've seen literally hundreds of separate stories in newspapers, many of them with pictures, um, with like pretty convincing pictures, um, whether it be uh, uh, a, a giant femur or tibia or whatever. Usually a lot of times it's a leg bone uh, because those are the largest bone. Um, and like so many of these without even looking, I'm not, I'm not even going looking for, uh, for evidence of giants. This is just stuff that keeps coming across my trail. And um, I, I think it's, you have to be, um, I don't like, I don't know how anybody could just write all that off. Like, were newspapers really that um, uh, fanciful? <laughs> yeah. And if they were, why were they still around? Like, why do they, why did anybody uh, give them any credit? Right. Like, right. I mean, you can ask the same question today, I suppose, uh, if you look at any uh, from Fox News to CNN, either way you go. Um, there's a lot of fake news and there always has been, but there's, I think that there's gotta be a grain of truth in, in a lot of these stories. I wish I could remember the title of the, uh, the two books that I've read about the giants. Um, they've all come out in fairly recent years and they all are packed with these, with copies of these old newspaper articles. Yeah. And yeah. there's just so many of them, it, it's just hard to blow it off. Actually, I have I have a book right here that I hope it's talks. one of the ones I've read. Um, I don't know. This is a pretty new book. Uh, let's see. Oh, of course, uh, it's hard to get these to show up. Uh, no, the I, myth, have not, I have not read yeah. that one. No, the Myth of Man by J.P. Robinson. I will put a I'll put a picture of it on screen. Um, he goes into a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, so one of the things he talks about is giants. Um, also, another thing is out-of-place artifacts um, and just a whole bunch of other topics. Uh, but, um, yeah, there's, there's actually a lot of people writing about that stuff. Um, uh, one of the, one of the um, guys who I think really cracked open a lot of that data uh, is Michael Cremo. And um, his, his main... This thick. Yeah, it's 800 and, pages. And it's, and it's written... Very academic. It's no easy read. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's covered a lot of territory. Yeah. 
So I think that, you know, um, it's really good that a lot of people, um, including uh, these guys and yourself and myself, are really kind of um, cracking open some of the boundaries that um, these are things that we've been told that just really are not true. And um, I, it, it makes you wonder why they're, why they're telling us this stuff. So if you look at the Smithsonian as a good example, um, what's their motive for hiding the fact that, that there are giants? I can't even think of one. Like if you if you think about okay, a lot of a lot of times conspiracies are fueled by um, religious conservatism or something like that, but that doesn't add up in this case because honestly, There's giants in the Bible. Exactly. So wouldn't it be good to prove that there were giants because then it gives the Bible more credit uh, credibility? Actually, if you really really get into the Bible, there is quite a bit um said about them being there you just have to learn that some of these names were <clears throat> communities of, of giants and right. the average person isn't going to know that unless they really yeah i'm actually writing a book on that as well um so even more fascinating than giants there are communities of intelligent beings in the bible that are aquatic so i don't know if they're like dolphins or porpoises or something or like, I don't, I don't know, but um, the really weird thing is um, in Genesis 24, uh, God blesses humankind and says, may you be fruitful and multiply and inherit the earth. Before that happens to humans, God gives the same blessing to one of these other, uh, other races or species or whatever that are um, seemingly some kind of mammalian aquatic creature and he blesses them and gives them uh, this exact same uh, blessing may you mm -hmm. be fruitful and multiply that's the only two times that that happens anywhere in the bible and so humans are not the first and it's very clearly stated in the bible we just overlook it brush it under the rug tell me can, can you pull it off the top of your head where it, where is the uh the water uh, well okay so it's this is this requires a little bit of um, retranslating from the Hebrew because the Hebrew uh, uses a lot of these words that end in I am. So you have Elohim, you have um, Anasim, you have uh, the, the Maniahim, um, and these are all groups of they're people, but they're not people, they're not human people. Um, like the Elohim, we know <coughs> are not humans. Uh, because they that usually gets translated as God, but it's a plural word, so it's right. the gods. The gods. <clears throat> and um, a lot of these words are extremely um, badly translated. Uh, for example, there's one called the Mayim, which is the basically the people. Um, they're they're a people. They end in im. Um, but what we translate it into in all of the, every translation that I've ever seen um, is the, the, the sky or sometimes the clouds. But it's not the sky. It's the sky people because they're clearly people. But the first part of the word ma, ma'i, uh, does seem to indicate sky. So they're... The, the, the translation is sort of right because it gets sort of 
part of the idea in terms of sky or water in some other cases, but it le always leaves off the fact that it's the people of the sky. So mm. when he went to the sky, he went to the people of the sky. Mm. And there's, there's about, um, I'm collecting words that, that end in im, and I'm uh, studying all of these Hebrew words and trying to make sense of it. So I still have a lot of work to do on that front, um, but it's becoming very clear that there are a lot of these other species that are intelligent. And the Bible um, straight up tells us about it, uh, but we have gone out of our way to um, tr mistranslate and miscommunicate and completely uh, take it out of what it's actually trying to tell us. Um, just the fact that we read the book of Genesis as a single creation story is completely crazy. It's like, I, it's, it's easy to say that there's three stories back to back that are separated. They don't jive between each other. Um, and there's evidence for up to six or seven completely different stories. So it's not just one story. Um, it's it's a several stories, and if by reading them as as separate and unique stories, uh, you actually get a lot of um, nuance that completely disappears when you read it as a single narrative, which it was never intended to be. When you get done with that book, let me know. Absolutely, I will. It's it's all in the first few chapters of Genesis. Um, right now, oh, there's all well, there's other stuff too. I'm I'm digging into the book of Job, which has quite a bit of stuff in uh, related to that. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of it is, uh, if you start reading the book of Genesis um, with a Hebrew interlinear edition, which you can get online um, or you can, you can uh, buy at a Bible store, um, it's fascinating because the, the, once you start looking into it, you're, it's, I'm just blowing my mind as to how many words are just wrong. Mm. And it, again, it's like the, Smitho the Smithsonian thing. Um, and it's the same type of thing as Egyptology, where it's just like, this is the way it is. And no, it's not like that at all. Like, I don't know if you're into Egyptology at all. I know that the guy who's in charge of it in Egypt uh, is very um, straight-laced in his beliefs and probably, and not probably, he cuts off a lot of... Um, I don't know, investigations yeah. because he yeah. has such a belligerent attitude about how he thinks that everything was constructed. Yes, exactly. Now, thank God I believe that guy is retired, um, but it hasn't really gotten much better. It's hard to say, um, especially now, like with, <coughs> with the lockdowns in the last few years, but um, even in the last uh, six months, I'm aware of um, a, a bit more openness in terms of um, uh, uh, of letting um, investigators go. Uh, a couple of uh, the investigators that I follow on YouTube have actually been able to go right inside some of the pyramids and have had access to areas that that have been closed for decades. So mm -hmm. I have a little bit of optimism on that front, um, but it's quite fascinating how uh, just the standard explanations are just accepted without any kind of question, even though they make no sense at all. Um, like no, the, 
pyramid's not a tomb. There's never been a body found in a side of in, in any pyramid. That's so true. where did this idea come from? And yet that's what they teach us in grade six. Right. Like, it's crazy. You're, I agree with you. Well, thanks a lot, Mary, for joining us today. It's been a very um, interesting conversation and a uh, pleasure talking to you. Um, I know that uh, we'll probably talk more in the future, but uh, until we see you again, uh, where can we find your books online? Um, all of the books are available on Amazon. Again, the titles are Cherokee Little People Were Real, uh, Underground Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains, Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints, and Tangible Evidence of Jesus. Uh, and like I said, they're all on Amazon. And my website where I update it almost every, just about every week, um, we do a lot of different subjects. And that website is skyshipsovercashers.com. Cashers is spelled just like a cashier at the grocery store. Great, I'll put a link underneath this video. Okay, thanks a lot. And thanks everyone for listening. And uh, please don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, check out our sponsors as well. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time. Please visit our sponsor, neandertees.com, fashion for the discriminating Neanderthal.